my next guest uh, hails from my hometown of St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, his story is, is the story of which blockbuster movies are made. He is the educator of the year for Missouri. In fact, he has been named teacher of the year 2020 for the state of Missouri. I'm so excited to welcome to the show Darian Cockrell. Uh, first, Darian, uh, good morning to you. Happy holidays. I want to say a big congratulations to you as a native of St. Louis. I'm always thrilled to highlight stories of triumph of local folks like you who are doing big things, doing amazing things. So uh, congratulations on being Teacher of the Year. Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you. And thank you well, for being on your show today. Oh, okay, great. Uh, so, you know, first of all, being Teacher of the Year, uh, you know, from any standpoint is an honor in and of itself. You know, very few teachers, and there are thousands and thousands across the country who will ever have that kind of recognition. But your story is even more remarkable when we think about, uh, you, you know, your humble beginnings. Tell us what it was like for you growing up in St. Louis. Uh, you know, growing up in St. Louis was uh, extremely tough. Um, in the 90s, I could only rely on my grandmother. Uh, unfortunately, I lost my father uh, when I was four years old. And my mother was struggling with addiction, you know, so she was just in and out of our lives. And with my grandmother being the only parent in the house and then me having five other siblings and then cousins coming in and out, you know, there was only so much my grandmother can do. And it just put us in a predicament and a mindset where, you know, when my grandmother was out trying to just make sure that she got enough money to keep a roof over our head, on the flip side of that, we were thinking, how can we go out and help our grandmother? And unfortunately, that, you know, led me down the road to doing some stuff that uh, I shouldn't have been doing at the age that I was at. So it was tough. Were you in North St. Louis, downtown? Where were you growing up? So North St. Louis, so like uh, Kings Highway, Delmar, uh, Fountain Park area. Okay. Okay. And that's a pretty rough area. Uh okay. You know, lots of crime, lots of drugs, unfortunately, during that period. There's been a lot of renovation uh, that's happening around that community now. But I, I definitely can relate to uh, what you're saying your experience was in the 90s growing up in that part of town. Uh, what was it for you that you think was like that transformative moment? Did you have like that aha moment? Like, I'm out in the streets. I I'm doing stuff I know grandma wouldn't approve of even though your heart was in the right place, you could have gotten in a lot of trouble. You could have ended up dead. You could have ended up in jail, could have ended up a statistic, uh, which is unfortunately the way that so many young African-American uh, males in particular, you know, go in our hometown. So did you have an aha moment? Did something click for you that this wasn't the life you wanted to, to live? I would say that when I was uh, living in that environment, and even though I was witnessing like a lot of deaths, a lot of bad things, it was hard for me to kind of have that aha moment because I was just living it every day. But when I was taking, when I was taken out of that environment, I was put into a boy's home. It kind of allowed me the opportunity to just sit and think about what am I doing in my life? What is going on in my life? And kind of share a lot of that stuff that uh, I thought was important when I was living in the city. But until I was taken out of that environment, I wasn't able to see what else life was able to offer me and what I needed to do to be more successful and not go down the same path as me and my family, family members and our friends. So I know as a teacher, you touched the lives of so many young people, but it was actually someone uh, in the educational system that was a, a big catalyst for the transformation that occurred for you. Wasn't it a counselor that actually lobbied for you to stay in a boy's home next to uh, a new middle school that you had uh, uh, enrolled in. Tell us about this counselor and how important that person was in, in your transformation. 
So I think, you know, a counselor, any school setting is always important because that's just that person that each family or each student needs to go to to, you know, kind of get any kind of support they need for their family. But I think with her, she knew me and she knew a lot of other students in the same predicament as me. And what she did was, other than just being a counselor for us and those students, she created like different sports for us to participate in because she knew that that was going to be our hook to kind of get us going to school. And she could use that as a deterrent to make sure that we stayed up on our education and doing the stuff that we're supposed to be doing, you know, when it comes to school. Uh, another thing is she took it a step forward and she just always did whatever she needed to do to make sure that she was a, a purposeful resource for me. Uh, you know, when the state came to my grandmother and told her that they were going to take myself and my older brother and put us in this military boot camp in Torquio, Missouri, which is like three or four hours from where I was, my counselor, my principal, and a few teachers went to court on my behalf and got like a legal guardianship so they could put me in a boys' home down the street from my middle school. So that way, even though I was out of the environment where I was in the city, I still had that foundation and that support of those teachers that I've already been building at that middle school that I was at. And was it from that group home where you were actually adopted into uh, this? Is it the Kaiser family, the Kaiser yeah. family? Yes, the Kaiser family. So in my eighth grade, so I was put into a boy's home uh, halfway in between seventh grade. And then the summer leading up to eighth grade, I started playing football. And uh, the, the guy who eventually adopted me was my football coach. Him and I got really close. He had a son as well who I was really close to. And our relationships grew and he knew my situation. He wanted to provide me with a family and, you know, more resources and opportunities for me to be successful. And they did that for me. Thank God. <laughs> so what was it like, though? Here you are, a, a kid growing up in North St. Louis, you know, rough and tumble, uh, gang affiliation, I guess, at some point, now being adopted in the suburbs of St. Louis by a white family. That had to be a pretty traumatic experience at first. It was crazy. I mean, I hate to say it, but at the time, as grateful and excited as I was, because it was my first time having like a true family dynamic, there was still a part of me that was kind of like embarrassed and also just sad because here I am. I've been grateful enough to be taken out of the environment and put with a home and a family that really care for me is going to provide me everything that I need. But at the same time, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking like, but what about my other siblings and family members who are still in the city? So even to this day, I still kind of have that struggle with myself on, you know, why did God choose me to be the person to kind of, you know, do this and lead that. But I always just have my faith and know that, you know, the Lord has a master plan. I'm going to continue doing everything that he puts, you know, in front of me and follow that journey. So hopefully I can continue inspiring people in the most positive way that I can. Yeah, you know, that, that, that is so, I'm, I'm so glad you're, you're willing to be transparent and honest about that because that is, is usually the pull. So a kid gets an opportunity to get out of that environment, but usually the pull is so strong from that community. It could be even family members and friends who, you know, just don't want that person to leave that environment. And, and sometimes people, you know, succumb to that pressure. How did you withstand what had to be a lot of pressure from your siblings, from your you know, your homeboys, you know, people you hanging out doing dirt with who are saying, no, nah, dude, uh -uh. you need to be here with us. H how did you withstand that? I think just being out of that environment, and I hate to say it, but it's like not being there allowed me to just focus on the stuff that was more important. I think if I was still around, if I was going back home to visit more, I would have kind of got, you know, wrote back into that. But just unfortunately, just staying away 
And although I was kind of losing touch with my family, I mean, I still talk to them, but I didn't see them as much. Okay, I, see, I got to stop you right here. You didn't just, where's your Nelly accent? I'm I'm sorry. Where's <laughs> your Nelly St. Louis accent? See, I had to work on mine. I'm not hearing any of yours either. When, it, when did you get rid of that? <laughs> I, I mean, it's still there. It comes out at different times. <laughs> Those of you who are not from St. Louis, go listen to Nelly. You understand what we're talking about. <laughs> it's so funny you said that because I was on an interview not too long ago, and my wife was like, who are you? I'm like, don't worry about all that. <laughs> she wanted to know, where, where were you over there? Exactly, over there. <laughs> Okay, now all seriousness, I got to get back to the interview. So, okay, teacher, how from this experience did you decide you were going to be a teacher, such a noble profession? I just, I knew I wanted to help people. You know, I just, from all the support and all the help that I've gotten along the way, I knew that I wanted to pay it forward and I wanted to be that same person that my counselors and my teachers were for me. And I knew I wanted to be a teacher, but I just didn't know what type of teacher I wanted to be. And just from playing sports, you know, football and different things like that. And I was just knowing about my body and being, you know, into fitness and health. I knew that, you know, PE would be a great thing for me to do because not only do kids love PE, but it just allows me that platform to just get to know these kids, get to know these families and uh, make an effort to be someone positive in their lives, just as my teachers were for me. And I read that, that you struggled, right? You had dyslexia and you had some other learning disabilities. Oh, so Lord, it wasn't always I mean, easy, even though you graduated from college. What, what was that like trying to overcome those learning disabilities to graduate high school and then, you know, get a college uh, degree? You know, looking back and actually I was just cleaning out some uh, a box of mine. And it had like all of my stuff from a special school district. And I was just reading through it and they were just talking about like how low my testing scores were, my reading comprehension and dyslexia and things like that. And I'm like, how did I make it through this? And it's crazy because when I left Milliken University, uh, I played football there for two years. I came home to UMSU to finish out. And normally college is four or five years. But for my butt, <laughs> it was like six or seven years. And I can laugh about it now. But at the time, I was so embarrassed. I'm like, I made it to college. I did what a lot of my family members haven't done yet. But I still got to make it out of here. And fortunately, you know, I had really, really great professors who stuck with me, who gave me different chances, allowed me to do different things, and they continue to push me to graduate. And I think that it just goes to show that even, you know, with different learning disabilities and things like that, you still have the opportunity to do great things in life. And I didn't allow that to hold me back. So even though that I had dyslexia and, you know, it was hard for me to read and do a lot of stuff that normal kids can do easy it still allowed me to be teacher of the year. And it's, it's not even just the content that I know. I think it's just my ability to make connections and just bring people together in a positive way. Wow. I'm just getting chills listening to your story because in addition to everything that I do, I am a, a special needs advocate. So I work a lot with kids who have a range of disabilities from learning disabilities to emotional disturbance to autism. And I'm always trying to, to convince people that these kids they can learn. They just learn differently because yeah. so often people give up on them. And if you're a black boy and by third grade, which are many black boys are not, you know, on par, you are sent off to special ed immediately. Mm -hmm. uh, you're labeled, you're probably given some medication. And, you know, by eighth grade, a lot of those kids just drop out because they've been convinced that they cannot learn 
when in reality, like you, they're very capable of learning. They just have a different learning style. It is up for the adults in the room to figure out what that learning style is. So, you know, kudos to you for not letting anyone convince you that you weren't capable of learning because obviously you are capable uh, of Amen. so many incredible things, which you're proving now in your career. So let's talk about that moment. How did you feel when you learned that you, out of the thousands and thousands of teachers in this country, were or in the state of Missouri, were going to be the teacher of the year? I, even still to this day, I can't believe it. Because as you said, there are just so many amazing educators, not even just in our country, but just in the state of Missouri. And for me to win amongst all those amazing people, when I was, when I won regional teacher of the year and I went to a banquet and I got to see all the people who were up for State Teacher of the Year, literally my wife and I were going around the room looking like, oh, they're going to win. Oh, they're going to win. This person is going to win. Like, Because just the longevity, the stuff they've done with their kids and just the amazing people they are, I don't look at myself as that. I just do my job to the best of my ability with, you know, the talents that God gave me. And I don't feel like I'm doing anything more or less than any other teacher, but I think the state sees something in me that sometimes I can't see in myself, and I'm just so honored and grateful that, you know, and humbled that, you know, they chose me to represent our state and possibly even the nation. You know, I'll know in a couple of days if I'm going to make it to that National Teacher of the Year finalist. But either way, I mean, it's just an amazing honor. You're, you're already a winner. So, okay, now I've got to ask you, how often is your story compared to that of Michael Oher? You know, he was the, a football player adopted by a white family, then went on to the NFL, and the, the blockbuster movie Blind, uh, Blindside starring uh, Quentin Aaron as Michael and then Sandra Bullock as his adopted mother. I know people must say to oh. you that your story is just like Michael's story. So often, and when that movie first came out, I used to always give my dad a hard time, and I used to say, hey, you didn't help me get to the NFL. How'd they help him, but you didn't help me? I used to always tease my family about that. But my story definitely gets, par gets compared to uh, the blind side quite, quite often. Okay, so in our pre-production meeting, we were talking about who we thought should play you in what we know is going to be your movie. Your movie's coming. You know, it's just a matter of times. You know, interview with the special report, book deal, movie deal is all coming. Trust me. So we're, we're going to tell you our three top choices and see who you like amongst our choices. Okay. Maybe you think someone else. So okay. my choice was John David Washington, Denzel's son. Ooh, that's a good one. I like break that. Breakout in the, you know, Spike Lee's movie, Black Klansman. Uh, and then someone voted for Winston Duke, who was in Barco in okay. Black Panther. Now, he looks right. a lot like you. I'm like, damn, he looks really like you. <laughs> <laughs> but here's who, you know, part of our team thought the new heartthrob, his name is Roger John Page. Okay. He's playing Simon Bassett in the new Shonda Rhimes, you know, from uh -huh. Netflix series uh, Bridgerton. So what do you think uh, of those three choices? Or do you have your own? I, I think those are all great choices. I will say that, so this woman that I worked with for five years, she's now a teacher at a different school. Uh, we always joke about, you know, they made a movie about me, and she thinks that the kid, I don't know if you're familiar with the show um, All-American. Uh, and it's about a, a kid uh, who grew up in the city and then, you know, he got adopted. He lives in the suburbs. A story similar to mine, but okay. the main character in that show, and I can't even think of his name. My coworker would be so mad at me, but she thinks that he should play me in the movie. Okay, and production I, team, let's find this actor that uh, Darian thinks should play him in the movie so we can find him. I, I'm not familiar with the show. I think I've heard of I don't know the actor. <laughs> 
our little Google fingers are, are moving fast on our production team. We're going to see if we can find him. But but I want to know, like, what is the most significant message you think, you know, you want young people who hear your story? They're living in North St. Louis. They're living, you know, on the west side in Chicago. Uh, you know, they're living, uh, you know, in, in Harlem, in New York. They're, they're in urban cities across this country. And they may feel like they don't have a shot. They don't have a chance. Maybe, you know, they're not doing well in school. They may not have a mom at home. They don't have a dad. Maybe grandma's working like your grandmother was. What is the message you want them to take away from your story? Uh, I think most importantly, just have faith. Uh, there's going to be dark days and dark times, but you just got to have faith in yourself and you got to change your mindset into knowing that, you know, anything is possible. And if, if you want to get out of that position that you're in, you have to fight for it because at the end of the day, sometimes there's not going to be other people to fight for you. And also just be open and accepting to allowing other people to come in and help you. I think a lot of times in the black community, we are too, uh, we feel weak or we feel inferior because we allow people to come in and help us. But if I were to go in with that mindset and I wouldn't have let, allowed my counselor, or other people to come in and try to support me, I wouldn't have been able to get to the point where I am in life. So just being open to align people to help you and just having empathy for others and knowing that, you know, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. As long as you are alive and breathing, you have the ability to do anything that you put your mind to. Wow. That's an incredible message. Uh, 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 Darian. So we, we want you to know that that actor who <laughs> your, your friend, your teacher friend wants to play you. His name is Daniel Erzra. Yes. That's him. <laughs> that is him. That is Daniel. <laughs> I think my John David Washington is a closer. I like that. I like John David. I love him to death. That's, Daniel's I, cool. Daniel's cool. But uh, And a lot of people don't know this, but he actually played for the St. Louis Rams for a year. Oh, John did? Yeah. Wow. Daniel Washington's son played for the Rams for a year. I didn't know that he had an NFL background. Wow. Yep. Okay, well, th that even makes it a better choice. Yeah, St. Louis exactly. Connections. Well, obviously, this is a movie Spike Lee, uh, you know, Will Packard, uh, Tyler Perry, maybe even Oprah Winfrey. I can't imagine that uh, you're not going to get called by one of these uh, top movie, uh, you know, filmmakers about your story because it is so incredibly inspiring. Last question for you. What's next? You know, what's what's next on uh, your agenda? Uh, what's next for me is just continue to use my platform to just help better our education system. I think my biggest thing that I want to make sure that I'm able to do, at least get the ball movement to or rolling with is, and she kind of uh, touched on it earlier uh, this morning, uh, Mrs. Brown, is just providing more res uh, resources and opportunities for people in our communities. Because at the end of the day, I think my grandmothers and many other families' biggest issue was that they did not feel empowered because they didn't have the knowledge or the tools to be successful or even be a part of my educational journey. So I just want to make sure that I'm able to help provide different resources and opportunities for families in those, you know, urban cities and, and some of those rural areas as well. But there's some people in suburban areas that needs help as well. So, you know, just providing resources and opportunities for anyone and everyone who needs them. Well, you are an amazing uh, role model. I'm so proud to, to call you, uh, uh, you know, uh, one of my homeboys from St. Louis. I love to tell <laughs> the stories. I've had Corey Bush on the show. I've had the mayor of Ferguson. I've had so many folks in St. Louis who are just doing big things. And obviously, uh, you go uh, to the top of the list as, as folks who are really making a difference, not just in the lives of kids in your own community, but across this country. You are a true role model. We need more Black 
uh, male teachers like you in schools across this country. And hopefully you'll inspire more men, uh, particularly African-American men, to go into the teaching profession. Uh, it is quite a noble profession. We're going to be rooting for you that you get that national finalist teacher of the year. Uh, just know that all of us here, you know, we got your back and we just wish you the absolute best. Uh, happy Thank holidays. You. And, uh, Thank again, you. God bless. Happy holidays. You guys take care. Stay healthy. All right. Thank you. Thanks for joining me for this episode of The Special Report. Please take a moment to share, subscribe, and rate this podcast. I always want to hear your thoughts. You can share your comments with me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn by following at Ariva Martin. Thanks and be safe out there.